Bills knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 515. That is 515. It's me and Jason. Uh, and on the tale of the sci-fi episode we just released. And by the way, to me, that's an important episode. And I was worried that it wasn't going to be popular. And the reason for that is because we all love sci-fi, don't we? And I would mention, I don't read a lot of novels. And typically, if I read something called a novel like Dune, it's for a reason. And occasionally, I'm pleasantly surprised. Usually, all my reading is research-based reading or supposedly fact-based reading, if that's even a thing. But I picked up the book, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. And it's really, I, I was surprised because I had, when I watched the series, which was the last thing I ever watched on TV. Matter of fact, I wasn't even watching TV when I watched it, but I became aware of it. It was 2000, 2001. And there are so many important ideas in this so-called novel. It's really quite a good read. And I was surprised because I don't spend a lot of time on, on fiction. But anyhow, Jason, you and I here today are going to tackle aliens. And the thing about aliens is, has everybody noticed over the last year, maybe to the massive uptick in video and media um, about aliens and even going so far as, you know, like fighter pilots have video and somehow magically that top secret owned by the military industrial complex video gets released out to YouTube. But this is what we're going to cover. Would you add anything? Have you read anything by Neil Gaiman, Jason? I'm familiar with who he is. He wrote a couple episodes of Doctor Who about 10 years ago. Oh, that's right. You were telling me he wrote Sandman, which I was aware yep. of, but I never read. I would love to know where a guy like that gets the ideas that went into American Gods. There is so much going on there. And for my part, the examples that he lays down are valuable examples in how we think about the world around us. And of course, not far behind all of it is those gods are actually egregores if you look at the way he lays them down. In other words, we create them, we keep them existing, but lo and behold, those thought forms that we created become independent and begin to influence us, which is a whole other episode. But we're going to dive into the alien thing. I mean, have you noticed, Jason, over the last, I don't know, so many months, uh, just the massive uptick in alien UFO videos? Yep. Oh, big time. Even in the mainstream. Uh, and if I had to guess what's going on, it is a guess, an educated guess. I feel like what they do online, since they have such good data collection, is they float these ideas. And when they see an idea that's popular, they run with it. And it seems like this one might have legs because it seems to be gaining ground. But let's jump in with the alien invasion psychological operation. Yeah, because we're not just talking about aliens. It's uh, <laughs> they're tying it into the concept of an alien invasion. Well, let's let's make a point. You know, what's ridiculous about some of this is all the military footage where, yeah, we're just baffled. You know, we keep filming these things and we don't know what the hell they are. Like hell, you don't know what they are. You're talking about groups of people who have free range over the world. They have some of the best technology in the world, probably have the best records of our so-called history in the world, and they can't quite make out what's going on here. Just on the face of it, my first reaction is a lot of what we see is just high tech that they wish we hadn't seen or that they need to explain away. But let's jump in here. So let's start off with saying this about the whole alien situation. If there were aliens here, and if they wanted to contact humanity, or even worse, harm humanity, I would think that the ball would be in their court. And what does that mean? Their level of technology would assumedly be far superior to anything that we might have, and therefore they could contact whomever they felt like. And if they wanted to outright attack the human race, then I doubt very much that there is anything that anyone could do about it. Well, that's a whole idea in itself. Like if, if some civilization somewhere else got really advanced and they'd been around for millions of years, doesn't that kind of imply that they've gotten beyond war and killing each other to have survived for so long? But let's just put something on the table here because I know it'll probably come up in comments. 
Are there living things out there? I am convinced that there are. I have read enough, even if I just look at the records of meditation and spiritual endeavors about people in meditation, learning from things called divas, or there's so many different words for the things, the consciousnesses that get met in meditation. And I'll be flat out when I look at the luminaries or the so-called planets, I view them as associatable with a consciousness. I do not view that we can just jump off our little world here and on to another one. I think we are tuned to here and I think those other places are alive, but whether it's another plane of existence or what that is, I can't tell you. Now I've read a lot about what other people will tell you. Um, I could launch into what the Rosicrucians say or other supposed secret societies. So what we're addressing here is the direct information stream that is picking up and getting a firm pair of legs under it that the mainstream narrative is trying to convince us about aliens, to be clear. So let's get into an important point that we've mentioned before, but it's extremely relevant to this. And this quote comes from John Dewey, professor of philosophy, Columbia University, during a banquet dinner with the Japanese emissary in 1917. Someone remarked that the best way to unite all the nations on this globe would be an attack from some other planet. In the face of such an enemy, people would respond with a sense of their unity of interest and purpose. We have the next thing to that at the present time. Before a common menace, North and South America, the Occident, and Orient have done an unheard of thing, a wonderful thing, a thing which it may well be, future history will point to as the most significant thing in these days of wonderful happenings. They have joined forces amply and intimately in a common cause with one another and with the European nations which were most directly threatened. What a few dreamers hoped might happen in the course of some slow coming century has become an accomplished fact in a few swift years. In spite of geographical distance, unlike speech, diverse religion, and hitherto independent aims, nations from every continent have formed what, for the time being, is nothing less than a world state, an immense cooperative action in behalf of civilization. And this is referring to what? Well, this is right towards the end of World War I. The idea that we're a world state, I'm kind of missing what this is connected to here. Well, he starts at the very beginning about a one-world government and that an attack from another planet would unite all the nations, and he's bringing this up all the way back in 1917. Right, but he goes on to say that it's a fact that it's already happened, so I'm guessing uh, the, the gravity behind what you've tried to write here is that the idea of one world is already well underway, and someone here is commenting at a high level that it's already come to be, but I would remind folks, you know, they're they're trying to figure out ways to what would unite the world where this whole idea that got laid down here gets rehashed by Reagan. You can go look up the Ronald Reagan speech where he says basically the exact same thing. If we had an alien invasion, you know, it would bring us all together. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> That's the next point. Go right. Ahead. And this wasn't uh, made after World War One. This was actually made during World War One as the nations were doing what they were doing at the time. Well, what grabbed me, and I hadn't caught it the first time I read it, is he's saying this is no longer an idea. It's a fact, nothing less than a world state, an immense cooperative action on behalf of civilization. And he's saying this during World War I, and we've covered uh, what people like Steiner and others thought of World War I. And not only that, the people who were very familiar with the works of these people looked back and stated that if Steiner and others like him had been alive at 9-11, they would have said that World War I was many times in magnitude a more serious happening. During a speech before the United Nations in 1987, President Ronald Reagan spoke longingly for the world unity that he said would happen if aliens invaded the Earth. Quote, perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world, 
and he had actually said things like this multiple times. You can look him up. He was floating it out there. But what does it tell us when a president, particularly someone like Reagan, right? In my view, Reagan is one of the biggest turning points in favor of the so-called controllers. Why? Because for the first time, they trotted out a man who was a known Hollywood actor and they put him in office and everyone loved him. Mostly many, many people loved him and cared less than an actor had been put in the supposed highest position. And it blows my mind. And this is a real turning point because think of the signal that sends when you do such a thing. So now you got an actor sitting here telling us, you know, if aliens invaded Jason, doesn't this remind you of other comments that were made running into 9-11? Like what we need now is another um, Pearl Harbor, you know, and then 9-11 happens. Uh, When things get said at this level, and I think, was it in Berlin? I want to say one of the times he says this is in Berlin, but I'm not sure. When you're talking to a world audience and floating ideas like this, and it's from that level of so-called government, you already know you're looking at manipulation. I mean. Call a spade a spade. How can it be anything but a manipulation? Dr. Carol Rosen, who worked with Werner von Braun in the 1970s and the last few years of his life, has discussed publicly that he had made a point to stress to her that one of the final cards that would be played on the world stage to help usher in a one-world government takeover would be the alien invasion card. A fake alien invasion there it is. You know, I, I would ask Jason, do, do you happen to remember the Illuminati game that had every single thing that's <laughs> happened to us yep. in it? Yep, do yep. you remember if the alien invasion is in the Illuminati card game? Yes, I'm pretty sure it was. We used to play it in the 90s. Oh, did you? I've never even held a, I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. the cards. A buddy of mine had the had the whole set and we used to play it for I don't know, a couple of years. We played that. It, it's fun from what I recall. I mean, I think even a semblance of Trump is in there. Of course, uh, yes. the, the worldwide plague is in there. Yes. Flat Earth is in there. Agents in place. And it looks like Alex Jones. Uh, there's a lot in there. <laughs> I'm just saying, if it shows up in that card game, um, when it happens, we should be you know, pretty clued in to why it's happening. Oh, by the way, we're going to cover Bill Cooper here. You know who admires Bill Cooper and the work of Bill Cooper? Fortune. Fortune always has so much to say and was so well uh, informed with regard to things that that Cooper had said. The difference is, is that someone like Fortune's in a position to know whether some of these things are true or not. Well, I must say that I agree with him wholeheartedly. Bill Cooper made multiple public statements about the plan to stage a fake alien invasion as a pretense to bring about a world government. This is starting to sound familiar already, isn't it? (laughs) Bill said that in 1972, while being a member of the intelligence briefing team of the commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet as a petty officer in the U.S. Navy, he was sitting at his desk and preparing for an admiral's briefing, and he came across a document called Operation Majority. He says that it was not the entire paperwork for the operation, but a summary of the operation and the projects contained under it. One of these projects was called Red Light. This is supposed to be the project to back-engineer and test-fly recovered alien craft. This would have been conducted at Area 51, also known as Dreamland in Nevada. This technology was then supposed to be adapted into the United States space program. Bill would go on to say that he came to the conclusion that the alien portion of this was nonsense, but that the technology was real. He also thought that many others had been shown the documents over the years so that they not would keep it to themselves, but actually go out and talk about it and get it into the narrative. He would also go on to say that after significant research, he found numerous mentions about the notion of faking an alien threat, and because of that threat, Humanity would be united as never before under a single banner of a one-world government. And Bill spent his years of being on the air with his show The Hour of the Time attacking the false alien narrative, calling all of it the Ufology Movement. Now, we should put out there early on, if I'm not mistaken, Cooper had accepted and maybe even been manipulated into putting it out there that aliens were real, right? Yeah, he was doing a lot of stuff in the late 80s talking about these documents when he had decided to go public. 
And it occurred to him as he was doing more and more homework that he was being used and it pissed him off to no end. He did not appreciate that. And that's why he completely flipped the narrative and said that this was just a big, big psyop. So there's something to be said for that in my book. Uh, When you are seriously putting an idea forward that then you turn around and stomp out with both feet. To me, that shows an individual of meaningful intent. But let's address the idea of, you know, we've seen what I consider you. People have no idea. When I first was thrust on the world stage because of my telescope work, because of the lunar wave, not just the lunar wave, the shooting orb, the work I had done with chemtrails, I can't even communicate to people how much went on and how many people contacted me and how all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, people wanted to interview me. And at first, I'm like, why would anyone want to interview me? I didn't get it. But. One of the early pushes to come kick down my door was people who were connected or in and around the Area 51 were reverse engineering alien craft, and I could smell it for what it was at the time. Now, to me, this instantly indicated to me that the whole news outlet there in Vegas, which Jason knows all the names and and places, what's the dude's name who worked there, supposedly? George Knapp, and we'll be getting to that, yep. And who was he covering? What's the guy's name he covered? Bob Lazar. And we'll be mentioning Lazar. that again. Yep. Yeah. So all this was a psyop and I could smell it from the outset. And there's others that I'm not going to name because I'm not interested in picking fights. I'm interested in communicating. And what I began to notice, like when I shot the shooting orb, when I first shot the lunar wave, a, it was like a seismic shift happened. When I shot the lunar or the shooting orb, which is in the film, Um, shoot the moon. And actually there's very, like, if that's the one thing, if you go back to the YouTube channel and find my original edits of the shooting orb, it's freaking mind blowing. What is that thing? What is that thing? And what is it shooting? Well, when I shot that, all these people started contacting me and trying to push narratives and trying, you know, it, it was just a thing. And I pushed it all away. And that was really when I dug my heels and said, I'm not part of any group. I mind my own business. I do my own work. Get the hell away from me, all of you. The point I'm making is what is that, man? Now, I make the assumption, I use the the peanut butter and jelly narrative. That has to be human tech. And it will be human tech until some other feasible, demonstrable idea comes forward to what it might be. But here's what I can tell you. I never filmed one of these things in the absence of chemtrails. The closest I ever came was my wife and I filmed one on the west side of the sky that was traveling pretty quickly um, for an orb because they typically don't move that fast, but it went across the sky to chemtrails. The whole thing that I realized was there's a level of tech here that I can't even come close to explaining. It looks like a ball of light. It's shooting a plasma beam. It is clearly interested and associated with chemtrails. And so if I logically break it down, that has to be tech from this world. So this is the kind of tech that they're going to have at their disposal when they try to do the fake alien invasion psyop, if they do it. But I assume since it was in the Illuminati Illuminati card game, and since people like Bill Cooper said it was going to happen, I mean, everything else we've seen in that card game has happened pretty much. Anyhow, Jason, I'm rambling. From Defense.gov, April 19th, 2023. Department of Defense working to better understand, resolve anomalous phenomena. In July of 2022, the Defense Department set up the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office to, among other things, identify unidentified anomalous phenomena that might pose a threat to national security and the operations of the military and federal agencies. UAP are anything in space, in the air, on land, in the sea, or under the sea that can't be identified and might pose a threat to U.S. military installations or operations. Sean M. Kirkpatrick, director of AARO, testified today at the Senate Armed Services Committee's Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Capabilities. The department is working to better understand and respond to UAP. Unidentified objects in any domain pose potential risks to safety and security, particularly 
for military personnel and capabilities, he said. AARO team scientists have taken important steps to improve UAP data collection, standardize internal reporting requirements, and implement a framework for rigorous scientific and intelligence analysis, resolving cases in a systematic and prioritized manner, he said, adding that the team is also reviewing UAP-related historical records. The team is leading a focused effort to better characterize, understand, and attribute UAP with priority given to UAP sightings in or near areas of national security importance or reported by military personnel, including pilots, he said. Quote, we cannot answer decades of questions about UAP all at once, but we must begin somewhere. While I assure you that AARO will follow scientific evidence wherever it leads, I ask for your patience as DOD first prioritizes the safety and security of our military personnel and installations in all domains, Kirkpatrick said. I want to underscore today that only a very small percentage of UAP reports display signatures that could reasonably be described as anomalous. You know what, dude? Just speak in English. Signatures that could be reasonably described as you're, you're just you're, you're playing Scrabble with a screwed up alphabet and you're doing it on purpose. And one of the things I noticed from the outset about the modern push to try to normalize and get people excited about aliens is they rebranded it. Why isn't it a UFO? It's always been a UFO. It describes what we're talking about. It's an unidentified object. So now they're rebranding. And I would be willing to bet that their marketing department went to town to decide what's the best, most serviceable thing we could call these things. And as I see the excerpts that you grab like this one, Jason, I almost wonder if our government or some of the big governments in the world like Britain still convince other governments that the tech that they have is actually alien or something they don't know about. And there's another idea that I would put on the table. Is it possible that there's a continent that we don't know anything about? Is it possible that there are parallel forms of, let's just say, human beings that we don't know anything about? that live somewhere in the world that we've never been told of, that maybe the borders are guarded there, like Antarctic, are these possibilities? And these are just open, logical questions that I'm asking. I can't tell you one way or the other, other than to say, I am convinced that there are land masses that we know nothing about. And you don't need to look much further than 40-some or 50-some nations guarding Antarctica and all that's been said down there. It's pretty clear that there's a lot going on they don't want you to know about. But the main point here, Jason, is this smacks of a rebranding of the idea so that it can be more serviceable in the modern era. Finishing up with this article, the majority of unidentified objects reported to AARO demonstrate mundane characteristics of balloons, unmanned aerial systems, clutter, natural phenomena, or other readily explainable sources, he said. Humans are subject to deception and illusions, sensors to unexpected responses and malfunctions, and in some cases, intentional interference, he said. A large number of cases remain technically unresolved, but this is primarily due to a lack of data associated with these cases, he pointed out. Without sufficient data, we are unable to reach defendable conclusions that meet the high scientific standards we set for resolution, and I will not close a case that we cannot defend the conclusions of. I should also state clearly for the record that in our research, AARO has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics. Most sightings being examined by the team are in the 15,000 to 25,000 foot range. The reason for this is because that's where a lot of aircraft fly. As of this week, the team is examining 650 cases. Of that number, the team has prioritized about half of them that appear to be especially interesting and anomalous, he said. Let's talk about a few things we do know are correct and then apply it to what we're being told here. First off, I invite everybody, everyone's got a high-def camera in their pocket, go out and film and tell yourself that you're each week you're going to get one hour of recorded film of the sky. 
And if you got a few minutes, just film the sky and review it. Don't review it on your phone because you won't be able to see. But I guarantee you, and I'm guaranteeing you, that if you do it seriously and regularly, you will begin to realize how much stuff is up there all the time. And that's not even going to outline or capture the things that people like Randy from Houston and me used to, to film and talk about. They are going so fast that even if you're filming at a, a high frame rate, you'll get one frame of whatever it is. They are going so fast that you can't see them. Randy films them all the time. There is so much tech up in the air, and I'll illustrate how much tech is up there. When I began filming through my telescope, I began to realize that there are all these things up there that we can't see unless they're backlit. So, of course, what did I do? I said, well, the moon's really bright and that can backlight. So I'm going to start filming the moon and wait for things to transit over the moon. Well, the moon is half a degree of sky. Look at how many things I filmed over half a degree of sky. Now let's talk about chemtrails. They're seemingly going on. I mean, I would guess 90% of the known world is getting chemtrail. There's very few places that have ever contacted me. And I know this isn't 100% bulletproof, but very few people have ever contacted me and said, we never see chemtrails or very rarely see them. What we get contacted about is all over this world, there are lines in the sky. And so with all this stuff up there, how would it even be possible for things to come from somewhere else and not be instantly detected? I would ask Jason. That was a lot of words, but I hope I made the point. Everything I did that wasn't chemtrail related, that was anomalous or something that might get called a UFO was filmed in half a degree of sky. That is a tiny pin drop of a fraction of the available sky that I could have filmed. Okay, so before we go any further, let's discuss this point. The UFO alien invasion topic has now been floating around in numerous ways for decades. Many of the biggest figures who are doing a variety of things to push these notions have either passed away or are getting to the point where they are aging out of their roles, whether they are being sincere or otherwise. People like Stanton Friedman, Bud Hopkins, John Mack, Jim Mars, Philip Corso, and extremely popular talk show host Art Bell are no longer with us. And people like Bob Lazar, George Knapp, Willie Strieber, Richard C. Hoagland, and George Norrie are now in their 60s and 70s. I'd suggest that to keep this narrative going with the younger generations, new and younger faces are needed to present these topics so that they will be much more acceptable to a younger audience. I think you're nailing it right on the head, and I can prove that what you're saying is actually going on. What's the name of the the guy from Blink-182 who became a big face of, you know, disclosure, tell us the truth about aliens? He is clearly of a much younger generation and was getting a lot of notoriety. I don't guess I don't know how much notoriety he's getting these days, but a few years ago, he was right up there with all the big names in ufology. He was, and I think he's somewhere around my age, so even he's not that young anymore. Let me look him up real quick, though. I'm not entirely certain how old he is, but Blink-182 as a band was uh, really big in the late 90s, so (laughs) how long ago are we talking now still, you know? And what are we seeing? Someone who got big in entertainment. They were very famous. I believe they're a San Diego band, by the way. They somehow have the credentials and the chops to become an authority on you know UFOs and disclosure and all this. But of the names that you mentioned here, when I first started being contacted because of all the filming I was doing, many of the names from this list were among the people trying to kick down my door, Jason. I mean, I think we've told the Richard C. Hoagland tale a few times here. And by the way, you kept pressing me. I eventually went on Coast to Coast and spoke with George Norrie, which ended up, I mean, he's a really nice man. He was very polite to me, but it was a bit of a waste of time at three o'clock in the morning. But what did you find? He's 47, so even he's not that young, although he's not 70. <laughs> well, you can't have, you know, who's going to listen to a 20-year-old? So I think, I think what you said is right on the money, and I think he's the perfect subject. He's famous. 
A crap load of people know him because of the band he was in. He's in the entertainment industry and he's much younger than the people you just named. So he's got what, 30, maybe 40 years in front of him to be in the public eye? Well, they formed in 1992, like I said, and then they were big throughout the 90s. So yeah. He's, I mean, it's, it's, he's a rock star. It'd be like if in the 1960s, Mick Jagger decided to stop doing the Stones and be like, no, I'm going to talk about aliens instead. But on to our next point. NASA is no longer using the term UFO, which stands, of course, for unidentified flying object, but is now using the synonymous term UAP, which stands for unidentified anomalous phenomena. The reason is stated as to be consistent with the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. The following is a statement from NASA. Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Independent Study on June 9, 2022, NASA announced that the agency is commissioning a study team to examine Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, UAPs, that is, observations of events in the sky that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena from a scientific perspective. The study will focus on identifying available data, how best to collect future data, and how NASA can use that data to move the scientific understanding of UAPs forward. Well, I'll, I'll point out a couple things, and I'm going to do the numbers to show you that I am absolutely convinced that a marketing team or a psychological operation team or a counterintelligence team went to town to turn UFO, which had baggage with it, into something more serviceable for whatever they're going to try. But how many people out there have seen the footage, which is actually hard to find now, of like a military chopper, not always military. Sometimes it's some kind of police in a big city. And there's these little chrome looking balls flying all around them. There was a period of time where there was tons of video of that. And so, you know, this is disingenuous, you know, saying, oh, identifying things that don't fly as we typically do. Well, hey, hey, boys, we went on YouTube. We could show you these chrome balls flying around choppers and other things. Why don't you explain that? It's not flying like typical things. Whatever tech that is, we are completely unfamiliar with. But let's go back to maybe the occult side of what's happened here. If I look at the term UFO, and actually I can't believe I've never done this, so I'll do basic numerology breakdown, the way that I use it, one to nine. So U would be three, right? It's 21. Three, F would be six, and O would be six. So you have three and three, basically. So there's a 33 built into the UFO, and it it breaks down to six, but there's a 33 built in there. Now, UAP, U would be three, A would be one, P would be seven. So now you have an 11. And what do we know about 11? And by the way, the six is an inverted nine. I wonder if there was also an intentional play to come from the inverted nine over to the 11. I don't know. That's all speculation. But what I can tell you is the new term breaks down basically to 11. And how much work have we done to show the bad rap that nines and ones get in the modern era. It's never ending. And, you know, even if we set aside that people like Crowley called 11, the evilest of numbers. So the new moniker breaks down to 11. Anyhow, whatever point I just made. A team of 16 experts and scientists assembled by NASA aims to publish its first report on unidentified anomalous phenomena, also known as unidentified flying objects or UFOs, by midsummer. NASA had its first public meeting on May 31st, 2023. The following are some of the revelatory moments and points of discussion. The first is that many sightings can be explained while others remain a mystery. The second is that privacy limits NASA investigations. The third regards microwaves and optical illusions. The fourth is that stigma and harassment hamper research. The fifth is that this is a new era of transparency. Quote, we're trying to assess whether those phenomena pose any risks to safety and we're doing it using science. NASA believes that the tools of science apply to the study of UAP because they allow us to separate fact from fiction. And that's all part of NASA's commitment to exploring the unknown and doing so with the openness, transparency, and candor that we're well accustomed to to providing the public. 
so your whole thing is you're doing this to ensure that we're all safe. Well, where were you guys when they started handing out shots that weren't so safe in 2020? But how, if you look at this logically, Jason, it's almost so ingenious that if you set up a way to collect sightings information, and I am correct in saying that it's human tech, uh, isn't that a good way to gauge what people think or if they are seeing things flying around that they shouldn't see, or if they're somehow hidden or supposed to be hiding themselves, they're getting spotted. And just to make the point, early on when I had, I don't know, about a year of things filmed, I showed up at one of those MUFON meetings and it was an absolute clown show. And this old man running the place, I mean, he was old. I don't know if he was in his nineties, but he was old, told me from the outset, there was a government mole in the group. So here they meet once a week, talk about books, might exchange books. And I show up new guy with video footage and they can't even get it together to show a video. So then I come back a week later with all the stuff I need. Anyhow, it was a thing. And in fact, there was a mole in there. He was well known at the time and he did everything he could to try to get his hands on my video. And it just goes to show that even a MUFON meeting, which is almost like Alcoholics Anonymous, pretty mundane, not the most exciting thing to go to every week, but still there's a mole sitting in the room making sure that anything that is seen or reported is known about. I'm just saying, Jason, this is a hell of a way for them to collect information on people who have seen their tech, basically. Well, it's interesting that they would keep a mole there. Maybe they are concerned if anything of actual interest shows up. You know, I guess you could make that argument, but this dude was a snarky dick. First of all, he interrupted every time I tried to speak. And I had brought some family members with me that were just, their jaws were dropping. As we drove home, you know, you can imagine the conversation. It just, I finally come back with all the stuff so I can show a video. You'd think, Aren't you guys tired of talking about UFOs and handing old books around that you've probably read 10 times? There's actual video footage here. And it was my video footage. Some of it was really interesting. And when I get up to show it, he immediately starts shooting it down, calling it satellites, interrupting every time I try to speak. And then at the end of the whole thing, doing everything he can to, to get my footage, at which point I basically maybe not so politely showed him my middle finger and told him I knew who he was. Oh, and then he, he continued. I don't know how he got the information. He continued to email me. And that was before I had changed my phone number. And somehow he got my phone number. The movie signs is a 2002 American science fiction horror film written and directed by M night Shyamalan minister Graham Hess played by Mel Gibson left his church in rural Pennsylvania after the death of his wife in a grisly car accident. Angry that God would take his wife, Graham now concentrates on his cornfields and raising his two children, Morgan and Bo. His brother, Merrill, a former minor league baseball star, helps Graham with the farm and children. When mysterious crop circles appear in Graham's cornfield, Morgan becomes fascinated with the possibility that they are signs of alien life. When the designs appear all over the world in a short time, the Hess family becomes increasingly concerned that an alien invasion is close. As he struggles to keep his family safe, Graham also struggles with his lost belief in miracles and signs. Keep this film and its storyline in mind when we get to the recent Las Vegas UFO story. I'm glad we're going to do, a matter of fact, I think it was the, the, Las, the Las Vegas nonsense that prompted us to actually do this episode now that I'm remembering why we're doing this. Look, a movie like this is doing, you know, we just covered sci-fi and this movie signs is a perfect example. It's watchable. It's entertaining. The family is lovable and relatable. And most of the world loves Mel Gibson, no matter what he does. He's good at what he does. And he's not a bad looking fellow either. All those things working in his favor. But we learn by example. And what people seem to forget is that example doesn't stop with real people in a real world. That example still works when we're looking at a TV or a screen. That's how they normalize things that should not be normal. They put them in front of you slowly but surely over and over and over. And one of the examples here is 
oh, here's a man who lost his faith in God and he doesn't believe in aliens. Oh, guess what? The aliens are real. And by the end of the episode, he's got his God collar right back on. It's doing these examples and normalizing ways to think about it. But I don't want to say too much, Jason, because you're plotting a course here. To break down the extreme poppycock around this current alien UFO story that seems to have become a ridiculous repeated meme with the mainstream news, on April 30th, 2023, around 11.50 p.m., a bluish meteor was captured by a police officer's body cam in the Las Vegas area. It has been confirmed on the American Meteor Society's website with several reports that a meteor was seen for that same time frame, and there's even corroborating video to confirm that a bluish meteor did indeed fly overhead at that time in that area. You know what? I'm going to set everything else aside and let Jason go down the trajectory of this Vegas nonsense. But when the hell did comets and meteors become technicolor? And the meteor societies just reporting. When I was young, damn near every meteor and damn near every comet looked the same, and it was not Technicolor. Now every freaking comet is green, and half the meteors you see, or what would be called a meteorite or classified, is running parallel to the ground, and they're in these bizarre pastel shades. To me, that smacks of somebody caused that. But I'm going to push all that aside off the table and let Jason continue here. 40 minutes or so later, after the meteor zoomed overhead, it is past midnight and it is now May the 1st. Around 12.30 a.m. or so, a 16-year-old young man named Angel called 911 and claimed that he and his family saw something fall from the sky and that two things were moving in his Northwest Valley backyard. Caller. There's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one is inside us, and it has big eyes, and it's looking at us, and it's still there, the caller told a dispatcher. Since it is a 911 call, police do investigate. They find nothing there, of course, most especially a crashed spaceship or any sort of aliens wandering around. There was a circle in the dirt visible there, but it turns out that it had been there for years. As the various family members are interviewed about the incident, There are contradictions between the stories that immediately signify that the story is not what was being claimed. On top of this, the 16-year-old opened a YouTube channel that he called Alien Society 51 on June 7th, 2023, that currently has one video on it, and that is one version of his Aliens in His Backyard story. Let's just cut down and whittle this down to common sense. What we were told was that a police filmed something falling out of the sky, what we were told that a UFO crashed, what we were told, even from the transcripty thing you ran here, is that it's they're standing next to it or they're in it. Where's the damn craft? You know, isn't that really the end of the story? You're claiming a UFO crashed and that magical eight-fit aliens are back there. Where is the craft? If there's no craft, there's no story, I would estimate, Jason. Afterward, an insane amount of news agencies run with this story. None of them do any real journalism, however. They just repeat the original story from the initial news station. And which station is it? KLAS 8 News out of Las Vegas. Bingo. Yep. That means that the entirety of the story in any news outlet you might come across is merely the words out of the original 8newsnow.com article, and that is it. The best part of the story is that this is the mainstream news station that George Knapp worked for when he presented the Bob Lazar Area 51 story back in the late 80s and early 90s. After working for a public relations firm, George Knapp returned to KLAS in the mid-1990s, and he still works there now. Over the decades, George Knapp has become extremely well-known in the UFO community, doing numerous stories over the years regarding UFO-related incidents and attending numerous UFO-centric events. When I was reading what you wrote, I was laughing, Jason, because how many times have we done research that shows that the Tavistock ideas are spread often through public relations training and public relations firms. But I mean, come on, what are the odds? The guy who broke the whole Area 51 thing and Bob Lazar and the reverse engineering things is going to be the guy 
who gets behind this? I mean, how how much how, how big how, how big a suckers are we if we're going to buy into these things? And I'll say one last time: Where the hell's the crashed? You know, you filmed a blue thing coming down. Where's the thing that made the blue trail? So let me offer the suggestion that, and I don't want to make any accusations of anyone lying or making things up, but hypothetically, this young man saw the meteor, which was reported, as we stated, and then decided to run with a UFO story. What I can tell you from my bones and looking at these types of things for years is I suspect what's going on is that, well, let me let me flip that around. Did everybody notice that they ran the story in the media. Now, Jason, actually, we didn't talk about it until sometime after it had happened, but someone sent me a link. And what I noticed is other news agencies in other towns running that core story out of Vegas kept saying things like, they're not lying. They're telling the truth, trying to push it. The whole thing to me is simple. They're gauging how much interest. They're gauging how much buy-in they can get on something that is so unbelievable and so ridiculous on the face of it. To me, they're completely testing the waters, Jason. To me, that's what this whole thing has been about. That wouldn't surprise me. But that brings us to the top of hour one. In hour two, we'll start discussing this new whistleblower that's out. And again, I'm going to point out that they need new and younger faces out there pushing narratives because so many of the older ones are either passed away or really getting up there in years. Yeah. And what does that tell you? So that, you know, some men like Hoagland and others spent their whole career and whatever came of it, you know, it's just all nonsense. And, you know, I, I don't like to, uh, as a matter of fact, I won't, I'm not even going to drop the names. I don't bag on people uh, on a platform like this, but Jason knows what I know. How how many people tried to to glom on to what I was doing, Jason? And they were people in this kind of aliens are real narrative. Even the people who wrote the books. And it's just such a kind of phony facade. But I'm going to wrap it right there. You want to add anything else before I wrap our one? Do yourself a favor if you want to understand how much they're pushing this stuff and just look up that Las Vegas article and see how many times it got replicated on other news agencies. It's ridiculous. It, they, it they, they didn't do any homework. They did nothing. They just took the thing and ran with it like it's it's some kind of factual event. This is not supposed to be the way the news works. No, the only thing that could have made this more laughable is if the kid who reported it was Bob Lazar's grandson or something, you know, it's kind of that <laughs> silly. And George Knapp shows up on the scene. Anyhow, we're going to wrap up hour one of the coming alien invasion. And I'm really not kidding because I do expect that something like that will happen. Jason, is there anything that we saw in the Illuminati card game? As far as I know, every single thing that has been picked up in there has happened. Well, I don't know about every single thing, but that game came out in the 90s and uh, we were playing it, I'd say around 1995-ish. I shouldn't make such broad statements, but I have seen people claim that there are just a huge number of things that were in that card game. And to be fair, I've never played the game. I've never even held the cards. I've seen videos of the cards. That's the closest I've ever come. But the point is, is I think they're absolutely testing the waters to see what, what will fly. And they have the best data collection you could dream for now. All you got to do is go look up what was the biggest search term today? What did Twitter say? You know, you instantly know how much interest the world is taking in the story. And I would suggest that this went coast to coast and even into other languages all over the world. There was a serious push to put this out to see what happened next. Anyhow, that's hour one of episode 515. We're going to regroup for hour two. We have so much more to get through here. But with that, hour one is free at pro777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. Membership gets, you know, we have all the forums, comments under every episode. And of course, right on the website, we have posted Shoot the Moon, which is a two-hour film Jason put together around all my scope work. It has like 10 awards now, I think. But with that, we're going to prep up. And I would like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. I hope to see you guys at the other side for the hour two. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.